Lord, we thank you that this morning we get to worship a powerful God. Thank you, Lord, that the scriptures say that you are big, you are mighty, you are awesome, you are wonderful. Death could not hold you. You raised again on the third day so that you could redeem us and give us a new life. So we thank you for that truth, Lord. I pray, Lord, as we study the scriptures now, you would show us a picture of the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Byron. I am one of the pastors here. Uh, Once in a blue moon, they let me out of youth ministry to cause some trouble. And certainly with what we're talking about today, I have the potential to do just that. So please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, where we will be talking about marriage. We started 1 Peter back in January, and we pick it back up today. We took a little break. We usually preach through books of the Bibles here at Crosspoint. We took a little break to go through the Psalms, the Proverbs, Easter, things like that. And now we come back to 1 Peter chapter 3, and we fall on a passage that has some controversy in and out of the church. Um, I got to be honest with you this morning, church. I come both excited. I love to preach the scriptures, and I believe everything God says is wonderful, powerful, and true. But I also come terrified this morning with what we will be talking about. We are talking about marriage and submission this morning. So I want to read with you together 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to read the first four verses. It says this. Likewise... Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of the hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adoring be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which, is very, which in God's sight is very precious. This is God's word. Let's pray one more time. Please, Lord, give us understanding this morning of what you have to say to us. Please give us a picture of what the gospel is to look like. And thank you, Lord, that through marriage, You put the gospel on display. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you two words this morning. And as you think about these words in your mind's eye, I want you to think about what what comes with these words. These are loaded words. These are words that um, in the culture kind of provide some controversy to us. The first word, I wonder what you think about, is dominate. Dominate. The word dominate is a loaded word. It talks about overpowering and overruling. It's a word we're quite used to hearing. Another word, the next word, oppression. Oppression. What do you think about when you hear that kind of word? It's a word we hear a lot in our culture in the conversations that we are having. People will use words like dominate or oppress. 
These are some of the words that have been used to describe the text that we are looking at this morning. Some people have used this text to justify dominating women by way of saying women have to submit to their husbands in every single way. And then on the flip side, we have a whole movement of women who have fought hard against to eliminate everything this text has to offer for us. They've fought fought hard to say that this text is a text that brings oppression. And I'm here to say this morning that both those views, thankfully, are wrong. Both those views are not what this passage is speaking of, although some people have meant it to mean this, and that is not what God is saying here. The passage is actually a beautiful picture of when two people come together in marriage and become one flesh and how they live together and how they honor one another and what this paints is a picture of the gospel. This paints a beautiful picture of the gospel. Now before we go forward, I need to provide some context of what's happening since we've been out of 1 Peter for a very long time. What Peter is talking to, who Peter is talking to, is elect exiles. He's talking to people who don't belong on this earth. He's talking to people who are alien and foreigners in the land. Remember what Paul says to us? He says, we are citizens of heaven. And we are passing through as sojourners on earth. But we're here with a purpose We're here for a reason, and the reason we're here is to tell others about Jesus Christ and give glory to God. Peter reminds us of this in chapter 2. So look with me in chapter 2, verse 11. He says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So what Peter is doing here, what he's saying here, he's trying to provide a way for us to think. And he's saying, while we're here on earth, we are called to proclaim the gospel in what we say, and more importantly here, in what we do, in how we live our lives. He goes on to say there's three places where Christians exist to make an impact for the gospel. And he says there's three places. The first one is the government, the second one is the workplace, and the third one, what we're going to look at today, is the home. Look with me in verse 13 in chapter 2. He said, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperors as supreme or the governors sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. What Peter's talking about here is he's saying we are called to be subject to our government leaders. Like Pastor Bruce preached a few weeks ago, when we exist in the world as exiles who put on the gospel, we Obey the authority of our leaders. Not only that, in verse 18, he says this, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. He says, another place that I have placed you 
for you to do good and show the gospel is in the workplace to your bosses and to your coworkers. And the last place he says, what we'll be talking about this morning, is he says, in your home, you also make an impact for the gospel. Unlike the world, the way you lead and show the gospel is not through domination, one of the words we talked about earlier, but it's through humble, submissive conduct to the world. Peter says, you are sojourners, exiles, you are just passing through. And as you walk through life, there's a way for you, Christian, to put the gospel and have marriage portray the gospel. Peter here is talking to husbands and wives. He's talking with great clarity, I might add, the responsibilities of a husband and a wife. Peter is also talking to a few groups of people here. He's saying, I'm talking to Christians in the room. Now, I know a lot of you, there's a lot of Christians in the room. He is also talking to Christians that are married to other Christians. That's a lot of us in the room. He's also talking to Christians who are married to unbelievers, which is also some of us in the room. Look with me in verse one really quick. He says, likewise, wives be subject to your own husband so that even if some do not obey the word. He's saying there's some people we're talking to this morning who obey the word and don't obey the word. He's talking to both together. Peter, from the wife's perspective, gives us a way to portray the gospel. And in true gentleman fashion, Peter says, ladies first. So wives, we're going to be talking to you first. He says this in verse 1, likewise. That likewise is important. It's pointing back to the fact that chapter 2 and chapter 3 are connected. This is how we show the gospel in this place. He, she says, he says, wives, be subject or submit to your own husbands. This word is a loaded word. It's a word that has been, like we said before, abused in the church and also a word that has been used to stay away from. But the picture of submission in marriage is beautiful. The definition for this word is a willingness to submit to your husband's authority and leadership in the marriage in God's design, he has created marriage to be a partnership, but with a leader. Let me tell you what submission is not. Submission is not someone able to ask you to sin against God. That is not submission. That is not true biblical submission. If your husband is asking you to do something contrary to the gospel, that is not biblical submission. Biblical submission also doesn't mean you must agree on everything. Oftentimes, if you're married, you understand this. You don't always agree, except for me and Alyssa. She always agrees with me. <laughs> Number three, submission is not bullying. That is very important for our culture. Submission is not bullying. It's not a permission for you to walk all over your wives. Number four, submission is not abuse. I lament the fact that we live in a culture where women are abused by men. I think we all do. Submission truly looks like a partnership, especially when it comes to making big decisions that affect the whole family. However, it acknowledges 
that the husband has the ultimate responsibility in everything the family does. We'll talk more about that later. When you live like this, it shows the world the gospel. It shows the world what it's like to an unbelieving world. Can I share with you a, a, a picture from my life of submission? This is a story. I wish it were the other way around. But this is a story where my wife is the rock star in the story. I wish it was me the rock star, but I absolutely failed here. Um, about 10 years ago, Alyssa and I moved with one son. We moved to Ventura, California. Um, we loved Ventura so much. It's beautiful out there. We affectionately called that place um, the promised land flowing with milk and honey. We, it was a Bible joke, sorry. It was a stretch. Um, we loved that place so much. Uh, we moved there to help pastor church. We um, got to enjoy the city. I come from Los Angeles, born and raised in LA. All I knew was concrete. And out there they have grass and trees. <laughs> All I known my whole life was traffic and smog. And there they have open freeways and clear fresh air. All I've known from my whole life was this one area of, of the world. And we moved and we fell in love with the city and we just absolutely adored our time there. After about eight years of being there and loving every second of it, uh, we came to a crossroads. And the crossroads was this. Our oldest son was going through some things with his special needs that we just couldn't support on his own. Not only that, two years before we were supposed to leave, we got him into this great program. However, the only problem with this program is that it was in Santa Monica. So for two years, for our, we commuted from Ventura to Santa Monica just to take our oldest son to school. That's 150 miles a day. It almost killed us. It killed three of our cars. It was really, really tough, but we were committed to the church and being where we were at and, and helping our son. There came a crossroads where all these things happened at once. We needed help. The house we were living in, our landlord's husband died, and we were uncertain about what was going to happen with our home. Uh, the fires were happening. It was just, it's, there's too much to explain in the story. And Alyssa and I, for weeks, went back and forth. What should we do? How do we handle this? How do, what, do we move back to LA and get the support we need, or do we stay out here and try to make it work? And I think if we're honest, Alyssa was a little bit more wanting to stay in Ventura. But I saw the pressure that it put on my family, and I just couldn't make a choice. It was too hard. And finally, to Alyssa's credit, I think she figured this out before I did said, I need you to lead us in this. I need you to show us. I need you to pray about this and tell us where we're gonna go. And to her credit, I finally had to put my big boy pants on. <laughs> pray to the Lord, seek godly wisdom, and we decided to move back to LA. By the way, it was the right move. We got so much support from the school. We got to move down the street from my parents and her parents. Uh, without that move, we wouldn't end up at Cross Point Church. It was the right move. But Alyssa submitted to my leadership in that situation. And I think what it did is it showed to me a picture of the gospel. Not only that, it says here, number two, 
That the way you show the gospel, wives, is by your conduct and your spirit. He says this, number verse two, when they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair, the putting on of gold and jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty and gentle and quiet spirit, which is in God's sight very precious. What Peter is saying here is not that you can't worry about your beauty, but that's not what you give the most attention to. He said, let the crown of who you are, the gospel showing to your spouse is your spirit and your conduct towards them. Listen, if you are an angry and hostile spouse, that does not reflect a picture of the gospel. But it says here, one of gentleness. By the way, that matches one of the attributes that Jesus describes for himself. A quiet spirit. One who lets their inward beauty be very precious in the sight of God and also their husband. You know what's interesting about this? I believe that this is what the world is looking for. There's a whole movement that talks about empowering women. We live in a society that is incredibly sexualized. Would you agree with that? A society that's incredibly hostile, where women say, don't look at me for how I look, but for who I am, for my intellect, for what I bring to the table. And the scriptures have been saying that for almost 2,000 years. He's saying, don't just look at the outward beauty. Of course, be satisfied with that. But more importantly, look at who your wife is. And wives, conduct yourselves in that way. He strengthens this argument by verse 5. He says, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Now, here's what this text is not saying concerning Sarah calling Abraham Lord. Here's what this is not saying. This is not saying you get to say, honey, bring me the remote. And then your wife comes prancing into the living room saying, yes, Lord, this is not what this means. Please do not try this. I haven't a bit, I don't have that much wisdom, but if I have any wisdom to offer you, please don't do this. What this is saying is not that. What it's saying is Sarah honored the place that God had put Abraham in his life. And as we'll see later, Abraham also honored the place God put Sarah in his life. It means that she submitted to him. It also means she loved him. Now, some objections we may hear from a wife, especially the wife of an unbelieving husband, would be something like this. He is not great to follow. He is not following after Jesus. How can I trust? I'm just afraid with what he might do with the decisions and things of our life. And I point you again to Abraham. If you read the book of Genesis and you look at the life of Abraham, Abraham wasn't the best husband. 
Abraham blew it all the time. Abraham was a coward sometimes. And yet, the scripture says Sarah wasn't afraid. It says that she did not fear anything that was frightening. Why? Because she trusted in the Lord. She trusted in God's sovereignty. She also trusted the provision that through a broken husband, God will lead their family. Peter says, I want to shift my attention now to the husband's. Because there are things that husbands can do that portray the gospel. Let's look in the middle of the verse. I'm actually going to read this whole verse, and I'll point out to you where I think this whole verse kind of puts itself together. Look with me in verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with, wa- live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the women as the weaker vessel. Look at this right here. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Here's what Peter is saying Men and women in a marriage are co heirs together. In this life together, they are equal in humanity and identity. They are both image bearers of God. But it's very clear the way that God had designed men and women to be different. Men, you are not called to dominate or overpower a woman in any way. Why? How do we know this? Verse 7, it says, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Because you are in partnership with one another, you lead in service with your wife in this grace of life. Another translation says it like this, Dwell with your wife in understanding. Care about what she cares about. Get to know what is on her heart. Understand where she's coming from in all that she is doing. Do not be harsh with her, but dwell with her. And then he goes on to say to honor her as the weaker vessel. Let me pose a question to you. Is a sledgehammer or a teacup between those two, which is the weaker vessel? You may be tempted to say the sledgehammer, And in fact, you may be right. A teacup is weaker than a sledgehammer, except for what it is intended for. A sledgehammer does me no good when I want a cup of coffee. In that sense, it's the, it's the better vessel. What Peter is saying here is honor that part of your wife that needs to be honored. It means to see her value, to see who she is, to see that she operates in a different way, to see that her giftings and her callings are different than yours, and to honor and elevate that. Here is what this means. There are things women can do that baffle men. Women's strength, it doesn't mean that women is, are weak And the strength of women is evident in our everyday lives. Amen, husbands? Seeing what our wives can do, seeing how she can care for her kids, juggle a thousand plates and not drop one. 
when I can't even close the shower curtain every day. <laughs> Women are strong in so many ways, but husband, you are to provide the foundational strength that the marriage and a family needs. That's what this verse is talking about. I think the best way to display this is maybe through an interaction between a husband and a wife. Let me, let me set before you an example. Have you ever made a choice, a decision with your spouse? Well, of course, we all do, right? Every day. We're constantly making decisions with our spouse. What are we going to eat for dinner? What are we going to do tomorrow? We're constantly making decisions. However, every once in a while, we have to make really big decisions. And sometimes, the husband has a better decision. Not often, let me tell you. And sometimes the wife has the better decision. And sometimes we say, okay, we'll go with your decision. Now the husband who dwells with understanding, the husband who honors the weaker vessel will do this. He'll say, when that decision has burned up and it was a bad decision, the husband who understands this will say, honey, we made this choice together and that's okay. The husband who doesn't understand this, who's not dwelling with understanding, who does not value her as the weaker vessel, will say, you know that decision? It was wrong. I told you so. This didn't work out like we intended. And the scriptures say, there's a way for you to honor your wife that leads her to growing. He says, do not exploit her weakness but honor her weakness. Now, this warning is our responsibility. And I want you to notice how incredibly important this is. Because when we don't honor our wives, look at what it says, the last word in the, the last line in the passage. So that your prayers may not be hindered. If you are harsh with your wife, if you are not understanding with your wife, there's a possibility God will not be listening to your prayers. Now more about men's responsibility in a little. As we're wrapping up, I want to give a word to unbelieving spouses in the room. Not just wives, but unbelieving spouses God uses you to bring faith to your unbelieving spouse. You're not responsible for their salvation, but you can display the gospel. And sometimes the Bible says, even without a word, you can display the gospel to them. My encouragement to you is that you would continue to persevere. Listen to this story from St. Augustine. St. Augustine is an early Christian theologian from the early 300s. And he wrote this biography called The Confessions of Augustine. And it's, it's really good. I recommend it to you all. And he writes about his mother, Monica, who her whole marriage was married to her husband, Patricus, who was an unbeliever. Their whole marriage, he was an unbeliever. Here's what Augustine says. It's a prayer. He says this. Lord, she served her husband. Listen to the language. It's so close to 1 Peter chapter 3. She served her husband as her master. And all she could to win him for you, she did all she could to win him for you, speaking to him of you by her conduct, 
by which you made her beautiful. Finally, when her husband was at the end of his earthly span, she gained him for you. Isn't that a beautiful picture? We need to persevere with our unbelieving spouses. No promises, but the Lord will use your faith to win your spouse to Jesus. A word to husbands. This passage tells us that the responsibility is on us. We can't expect our wives to submit to us when we are being harsh with them, when we are doing everything we can to make it hard for them. The leadership God places on us. Let me read you a passage from a book that I read that talks about the nature of responsibility. And he talks about it through the lens of the military. To illustrate, suppose a young sailor disobeys his orders and runs, a ship, runs the ship to the ground in the middle of the night. The captain and the navigator were both asleep and had nothing to do with this irresponsible action. Who is finally responsible? The captain and the navigator are ultimately responsible for this incident. They are career officers. Their career are ruined because this young sailor was getting out of the Navy in six months anyways. It might strike many as being unfair, but it is indisputably the way God made the world. The sailor is guilty. The captain is responsible. And same with us. The Bible says the responsibility is on the husband to lead in a sacrificial way. The responsibility is on the husband to lead in a way where they dwell with understanding. The husband is responsible to create this kind of leadership and home for their wives, for them to thrive and for them to feel safe in knowing they can submit to their husband. The way we portray the gospel in marriage is to live like this. Husband, Love and honor your wives. In Ephesians, it says that Christ loved, the, we're called to love our wives the way Christ loved his church and gave himself for her. Wives, love and submit to your husbands and ultimately be heirs together in the grace of life. Now, here at Cross Point, we want to help you do that. We have a ministry called Marriage Mentoring Ministry. If you see Pastor Jim today, ask him about it. If you need help, if you want to grow in this, we have some great resources to help you out in that. Ultimately, this is how we put the gospel on display in our lives. You put the gospel on display in two places. You get to, you have the opportunity every single day to portray the gospel to your spouse. One to another, when your husband's about having a bad day, you portray the gospel and remind him of what Christ has done. When your wife is having a bad day, you portray the gospel to her, remind her what Christ has done and how you're there for them. And not only that, just like our conduct and our lives show the lost and dying world that God is good through the gospel and through our marriage, we get to do that also. Amen? Let's pray together. Our Father, we are so grateful 
for the truth of this scripture. Lord, thank you that you have created marriage to be this way. Lord, we thank you that you had a design in place where men could step up and lead their families. Thank you, Lord, for this responsibility that you've placed on us, that we get to share and communicate the gospel to our families every day. I pray, Lord, for those in the room that are struggling with any of this. I pray that you would help to restore marriages this morning in the room. I pray, Lord, that you would help both the husband and wife to repent, not to blame shift or or attack one another, but to say we need this kind of picture and gospel in our marriage. I pray, Lord, for the unbelieving spouses in this room. Would you please save them? Would you please rescue them? Would you please strengthen the spouses in this room who have been working year after year through this? I pray, Lord, that you would give them a resolve to continue to preach the gospel to their spouses. And Lord, for all of us this morning, wherever we're at, married, unmarried, we have an opportunity to put the gospel on display. Thank you for dying for our sins. Thank you for submitting to the Heavenly Father so that we may have an example on how to submit and how to live here on earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, we thank you. We love you. We're praying for you. We're really grateful for you.